Welcome to the Love That Podcast. I'm Mark, and here with me are my colleagues Charlie and Marcio. Hi. Hello. This podcast is about all things creative. Specifically, the subjects of design, digital, and video. With other stuff thrown into the mix. As well as being able to listen to us, you'll also be able to see us and what we're getting up to on our YouTube channel. We're currently on our podcast set, which has kindly been provided to us by the University of Portsmouth. With a big thanks to the CCI department for helping to us to film and record this series. This episode is all about design. Ooh. It's your realm, Charlie. Obviously, we discussed it a little bit in the last episode, um, but it's about the the kind of the way emotions convey within design, the feelings you can get across, the different skills and techniques you can bring into your design, whether it's a, a social post or a, a press release or even a PowerPoint deck. Good old PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um... So, what are some of the techniques and skills you can use throughout oh, design to God. really kind of convey that emotion and feeling? I mean, I think the thing the thing with design is that it's such a broad term and it can be applied to so many different areas of so many different industries and sectors and businesses. Um, but specifically in terms of what we do um, as a creative services agency is design for me is it's about problem solving so you know a client comes to us with a challenge or the business comes to us with a challenge and what we're trying to do is solve that challenge or that problem um and there's lots of different ways that you can go about it and you know every agency will have its own approach its own kind of way of doing things but for us um you know what i'm always really fascinated by is how you can pull the story of what you're trying to do from the insights or the data that you get given to work with from that client. You know, some people can be quite um, put off by the idea of being given lots of analytical data around whether it's, you know, audience segmentation or, you know, the, the business sales, what works, what doesn't. But actually, it's a really fascinating area to discover the story behind that and that will always come back to the people or the audience that you're then trying to talk to through whatever design solution that you you know you're providing the client um, and what's great about what we do specifically at love that in terms of design is we have obviously you guys as additional mediums to then get that work out there and use to create those solutions. So whether it's you know something digital, whether it's a website or an app or a game, or with video, whether it's long form or short form, we, we kind of work with you guys to amplify what we're trying to do. Um, and, you know, like we said in the first one, there are so many great agencies out there that they have their own ways and of talking about what they do and how they do it. But for us, we we've all taken different parts and different skills of what the team are super capable of doing and created our own kind of process so 
it always starts, like I said, with that data piece of finding out as much about what the client is working with, what obstacles they're facing, um, what they're trying to do. Is it a behavioral change? Is it awareness? Is it, you know, a, a new product? There are so many different factors to what we're trying to do through design that you, you kind of have to start there and focus only there before you think of that creative solution. Because for me, as, as a creative and someone that looks after a team, I feel that that is very important to understand so that your solution or your outcome is as rock solid as it possibly can be. You know, there's nothing worse than kind of you creating a design or creating something and it being a bit shaky, like it's sort of, you've sort of looked at the insights, you sort of understand the audience and then, you know, you get it in front of a client and we've all been there. Any 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 creative worth their soul, even in their early days, will have had those situations where they just want to make something really cool and you kind of get blinkered to, to what the client wants or needs and when they get it in front of them and they start pulling it apart and you realise you haven't really focused on the real key information that they provided you mm. so it's so yeah it, it kind of goes back to that that discovery i think is what yeah. you're referring to the, the discovery and define phases that come before we get into the design because yeah you definitely need to make sure uh, you're you're clear on the audience you're talking to you're kind of aware of the industry what you're trying to tell and what emotions you're trying to convey in the first place to then define them just this be the objectives and then finally get into the design. Now, in an ideal world, I guess, every designer dreams that when they get the brief, the discovery and define has been done yeah. perfectly. You don't need to worry about it. But I think most kept and none, people just jump just to the design. And it's, it's like with anyone, whether it's the, you know, your account managers or the clients, or you know, if you're doing something for an internal team, they, they need something tangible to see it brought to life, to see their problem brought to life. So it's very easy to get swept up with that and try and just create something and start it and then pick it apart. But actually... But there are tools to do that and at the beginning <laughs> stage. You do mood boards, you do color yeah, exactly, stuff. So exactly. Same. So um, I, I mean, I love a mood board. Any excuse to do a mood board because I am a very visual person. Anyone that ever sees my home office it is basically a hoarder's paradise i i love visual stimulation and and what mood boards allow you to do is to just collect all of those thoughts that are buzzing around your brain and apply them down on paper or on the machine or you know something like miro miro is a great tool for collaborative um workshops and ideating and starting to think of all those different elements that have to feature within your your concept or your solution that you're trying to provide but that 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 usually will come after those insights and and it you know you can get so granular you can get really nerdy about it like down to the consumer habits of those audiences that are completely separate to you know the sector you're currently working with but actually it's like it's like you know a, a detective's kind of board like the old mm. school style where you see the string yeah. it's it's once you start pulling all of those different elements no matter how kind of far out they may feel you'll see those stories within the within the data that then when you create that mood board it's just not just a bunch of nice pictures or cool fonts and things like that and that's that's one of the things that i i try and push the creative team is is that when you know when they're thinking about mood boards mm. 
it shouldn't just be visual stimulation in the sense that it looks really cool. It should be that it relates to those different key points of the brief and the people you're trying to connect with. Yes, I think that's why you create several mood boards. Like it's not the specific one. Sometimes you I think there's a reason why it's called a mood board because it's supposed to create that mood, that yeah. that feeling. And, and though, so how do you do that? Like from, from the part, like if there's something like happiness, do you, you have different mood boards per feeling or, or directly just full colors already in, into it? Just cold colors, warm colors, all of that? How, how do you? Color, color could be a podcast on its own. It's such an important part of the creative process. And I think what you have to establish first is what is it that that problem that your client has is trying to solve or create, you know, like if it's a behavior change, is it something that it needs to be quite hard hitting? Is it serious? Is it something quite jovial? Like, you know, it could be a consumer campaign for Valentine's Day or whatever. Is it is it humorous? And once you start to establish what those links are from the message that the client has and what you need to create, then you can start diving into things like color psychology. I mean, we, we work with some great brands and we've created some really great brands and one of the first parts of that is establishing what psychologically those colors that we're going to apply to this brand mm. that they're going to lead with actually represent and you have to look at the industry and you have to look at the you know the meaning behind what you're trying to do before you can even think about color you know there's nothing worse than when you speak to a designer and you're like, you know, you're trying to find out why they've designed something the way they have and you ask them about colour. And, and luckily none of the guys do this, by the way. <laughs> our, our team's brilliant. Um, but, you know, those times where they go, oh, I just like that colour. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, it completely takes any meaning out of the design. And, and what's really important for me with Love That is everything we do is done with meaning and purpose, not because it looks cool. They, you know, designers and creatives get a bad rap for not listening to clients and their audiences and that they just you know they just kind of railroad them they don't really understand the business but they want to make a really flash logo yeah. and the, the industry just isn't like that and it's really important for us to make sure that that is super apparent with how we communicate to our audience and our clients when we're creating so picking up on the, the color psychology because i'm always really intrigued about how colors are picked mm -hmm. and um like the meaning behind them and um, obviously like working with you um, you've brought up this colorful wheel which then has all the emotion around it attached to that specific color range yeah um, and that really interests me because I never looked into design that granular before like I would see a color and I wouldn't think oh it means I'm happy or it means mm. I'm sad like it just it's just for me it's just a color but I, di I didn't haven't dove into like the, the detail as such as you have and, and what it means? It's, it's a really interesting one. And, and I, I don't know the answer as to what came first. It's like chicken and egg. Like what, what drove that color to be associated with that? I'm sure if I had like time, I could, I could sit on the internet and discover the origins of color psychology, but I haven't got time for that. <laughs> run a department. Um, but it's really interesting and it can really make or break a, a design if when you're with a client in terms of whether they get it or not. And like, you know, a really interesting color, for instance, is blue. Blue is significant in terms of, you know, uh, trust 
the health service, for instance, NHS, blue, you know, red, red, you would always think about as being like, it was always as a kid, red was danger. Red yeah. and yellow and black were danger. But actually, if you look at the brands that harness the power of red, it's more to do with energy and passion now. So, you know, the UFC, for instance, there's red there, Virgin, Coca-Cola, you know, Coca-Cola, that, that color is synonymous with it. Ferraris, red. They, mm. they, you can just, you could go off on a tangent. And what's kind of interesting as time goes on is the connotations with color and how they're changing. So, you know, there's, there's the hot topics around gender and things like that. And whether it's appropriate to have pink for a girl and blue for a boy and, you know, pink being fashionable for men to wear and vice versa. So color meanings do change um, at probably more of a consumer level at the moment. But it's really interesting to see how that kind of expands out. Yeah. And, you know, even down with the, with the Love That brand, we, we were very conscious to make sure that we still felt part of our, our kind of business family, our group, essentially. Mm. Um, so there are, there are colours that the whole group use. But then in terms of making us more unique, we looked at things like tech brands and the colours that are traditionally or more commonly used around tech brands. So neons and vibrant colours because, you know, the digital platforms and things like that. So... There are so many different ways to go, and there's there's books and books on the table, and there's more books and books over there. Like color is just the tip of the iceberg, and even down to you know what contrasts you need to create. That's even before going into accessibility or legibility. You know, one of the big kind of challenges we overcame when we were doing the Love That brand around accessibility was making sure that the we still had the vibrant colors that we wanted the brand to have. But that they were still accessible, um, and Marty, you can probably like talk a little bit about what we had to do from a digital perspective to get those colours to work. Because you know the first ones we picked, they 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 had to be adapted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I always look into the contrast colours and especially colour blindness uh, because screens are so different like oh, going from iPhones, yeah. the laptops, like the account managers have to our our Macs. The, the colors available on each screen varies massively now. More people doing the mobiles is fine because those are high, high color contrast, but most of the desktop ones for the corporate people, especially B2B clients that we deal with, don't have that range of colors. So we have to make sure that the color palette, especially that we choose, we choose from, it needs, to be, it needs to be consistent through those screens. So there you have your website colors and your safer colors and so on. So so that pattern can be and is growing. Like the color safe it used to be like two hundred and fifty six, now it's getting bigger. And so I think we had to do a small adjustments and it wasn't even that noticeable after we, we went through no, all those tests. Luckily. We planned yes. that. It was fine. We yeah, it was fine. <laughs> but but using the originals I could see the difference. But yeah. so it's quite interesting. That's cool. I mean, I feel I feel like from my point of view, some, someone who probably should know more about design and, and all the color around it. Um, it's, it's really insight, insightful for me to understand the thinking that goes behind the process in a way. Um, but I think we should probably stop there before we tail off and go into like a 20 minute conversation. <laughs> we'll end up um, digressing. I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about color again with you, the <laughs> color grading, yeah. or something like that.
what we're going to do now um, at the end of each podcast, we're going to have a bit of a uh, two to three minute just random chat session where we talk about de de stress, isn't yeah, it? stuff about either the industry or stuff outside the industry, just just kind of normal kind of general chit chat between ourselves, what you do at work with your friends or your colleagues. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've had a look. And I think this one, because it was all about design, and you mentioned earlier um, how the colour of um, that, that men wear now and the colour that females wear now, they're not associated. But in terms of dress attire for, <laughs> for a creative person, how does that vary? And can you look at someone and, and say, oh, you're definitely from a creative background or you, you're definitely a... a a videographer or you're part of the design team and stuff like that do you know what it's one of those probably loaded questions that could turn into quite a heated debate but we'll, we'll chat about it in like a light-hearted way but i i don't intentionally dress different i don't go out there to to do my hair or what i wear because i want to be different it's just because it's what i like yeah. it, and i think it's the same for most people um but, you know, bef before I, I, I got into more senior roles, if someone said, oh, yeah, you look like a creative, I, I would always think that was quite a, a compliment. Yeah. But actually, when you, when you get more senior in your roles within the creative industry, I, I'm starting to question whether that is a compliment or not anymore. Because being creative isn't any less professional than something else that someone else does just because yeah. I don't wear a suit and tie doesn't mean that I'm not an expert at what I do so it's it's one of those like as I've got to that age of the tender age of 37 I am starting to question like and even even sometimes I you know if I'm getting ready to meet a client I will second guess what I'm gonna put no, on no. or I worry about my hair or you know things like and not in a vain way it's more of a like oh am I gonna give the right impression and you almost have to remind yourself that actually if once you start talking that will speak for itself yeah and I think it's a very outdated way of looking at things oh, now because so outdated. you would get so many people that would go to an interview who have tattoos that they would be conscious about showing off tattoos because they think it would uh, scupper their chances of getting the job. Yeah. And I think that's such a backwards way of thinking now. I think the generation coming through, we're kind of leading that charge. So as a senior person within the industry, we're kind of bringing that new wave in and that new way of thinking. And we, like you said, you've second-guessed yourself a few times, but... It's what comes out of your mouth that really matters. I don't think it's how a certain person looks or how a certain person comes across. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember I've 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 taken my nose ring out for interviews before. I've 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 put hats on when I know I've been I'm going to be on camera before, and and I've got to that stage now where I'm like, Do you know what? No more. If yeah. if a client can't see past how I look to see their expertise and the passion that I have for their projects, then that's not the kind of client I want to work with for Love That. Yeah. Because Love That is not about that. It's it's about making things and making people feel like they're a part of it. And I just, I don't know, it, it, it's, a re it's a really raw topic for me. And like, it's, it's only recently that I've really started to think about that. And, you know, I, I just don't think it should be 
a factor anymore. And I, I guess it's the changing of the guard, isn't it? It's, it's the different generations stepping into more senior yeah. management. And, you know, the, the, the creative directors that I look up to, they, they are potentially of a different generation. But again, a lot of them, and I, I you know, a lot of creative directors are male. Like, there, there is a wave and female creative directors and senior women in creative industries is increasing. But there's still that apprehension for me as a female on what people are expecting from me as a as a senior creative, and I don't I don't I don't I don't usually notice the the gender issue at all because you know the three of us we work so closely together we work very equally we all have equal say love that has been created through all three of us through all of our disciplines. So when I do come across that, it can be quite a shock because I'm just mm. not used to it. And, yeah. and, you know, we work in a business that is so supportive of people and and different people and different backgrounds that it's just, it's quite jarring when you do experience it because it's just, I, I don't. And I haven't throughout my career. I've been really lucky. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's interesting as well how... I think I remember when I was a kid, like the perception of someone successful was someone with a suit, yeah. shirt yeah. and tie. Uh, probably up until I was in uni. And then when guys getting out of uni, then you realize yeah, you don't have to. Like, yeah. why? Why? Nothing's stopping you is to wear what you like. And I think it's a little bit of being just true to yourself. And in, within our industry, as you were saying, the creative one is usually quite receptive from that. And it has been from the beginning because you have to be, you have to be, if you're gonna, gonna stick to your, I'm just gonna draw, I'm gonna make my career in drawings or in computers or just behind a camera. Yeah. Because most people just say, oh, I'm gonna get that normal job or whatever is that's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so it's always be a little bit more receptive of people just being themselves. That is all we have time for. Luke has been at me again. <laughs> um, so yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, I think next week, next week is not a weekly thing, is it? Next episode, uh, we're going to be diving into um, Marche's realm, which is digital. Yes, probably. <laughs> <Maybe>? Hopefully. <laughs> um, yes. So, yeah, like, really appreciate it. Um, if you like what we've heard, obviously, pop a note in the uh, comment section below or if there's anything that you want to get in touch with us about um, just email us at hello at lovethat.co.uk but for now see you later bye bye